Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. The Old Testament book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk in chapter number 1. The book of Habakkuk in chapter number 1. Of course, Habakkuk is found in the section called the Minor Prophets. There are 12 minor prophets. They're minor in size, but major in message. And as we've already been exploring through the book of Habakkuk, many of us have recognized that this is a parallel to our day. Meaning that when we read the book of Habakkuk, we could almost look up from the Bible and look up from the social media and from the news and say this matches the corruption, the filthiness, the idolatry, people turning away from God and having no desire to hear from them. And yet, through it all, we have a God who knows what he's doing. And remember that the book of Habakkuk is an unusual book because most of the minor prophets are addressed to a nation or addressed to a people. You have Nahum who is dressed to Nineveh, uh, to the capital of the Assyrian Empire, same as Jonah. You had Amos, who was the southern preacher who preached up to the people up north. You have all of these that are addressed to certain peoples. But the book of Habakkuk is not addressed to a certain people, but instead it is a conversation between Habakkuk and his God. That Habakkuk begins to pray and begins to see about all the things that are going on. And to a surprise, God answers him. And they go back and forth in a conversation. And I'm so thankful that our God is real, that we can have a conversation with him. That God is a great God, a personal God that we can have contact with. And we want to oversee, as God is now revealed to Habakkuk about what God is going to do, we want to see Habakkuk's response To what is going to happen in the world. Notice with me if you don't mind. We'll read the book of Habakkuk chapter 1. And get a good running start to where we're at today. Notice with me Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 1. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord how long shall I cry and thou will not hear. Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou will not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Behold, ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously, For I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses are swifter than the leopards, and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come from afar. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come 
all for violence. Their faces shall sup as the east wind. They shall gather the captivity as the sand. They shall scoff at the kings. And the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold. For they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change. And he shall pass over and offend. Imputing this his power unto his God. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment. And, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. Thou canst not look on iniquity. Therefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and hold thy tongue when the wicked devoureth a man that is more righteous than he, and makest men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all them with the angle. They catch them in their net, and gather them in their drag. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice unto their net, and burn incense unto their drag, because by them their portion is fat, and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their net, and not spare continually to slay the nations? And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark a phrase that we find in the book of Habakkuk chapter 1. The book of Habakkuk chapter 1, and notice with me in verse 12. O Lord, my God, my Holy One. O Lord, my God, my Holy One. And with the Lord's help, we'd like to preach a message here from this passage. The God I know. The God I know. Remember, it all starts with God. It begins with our vision of God. It ends with God. God is the goal. God should be the center of everything that happens. And during this incident here, we could see Habakkuk goes back to the God he knows. Now remember, it starts off with Habakkuk praying. And he begins to pray, and rightfully so, as he looks at his nation and sees all the wrong, and the, the judgments aren't going forward, and there's more unrighteous people than righteous people. Therefore, the laws are slack. Judgment doesn't go forth. The righteousness doesn't happen. He's looking at a corrupt nation, and he's praying and said, God, what are we going to do about it? And to his surprise, God answers and says, guess what? I'm going to do a work in your days that that if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. Now that's important. God says, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. And when I tell you how I'm going to solve your problem, you won't believe me. And you can almost see Habakkuk. Maybe you would say the same thing. Oh, well, let me hear about it. Try me. I'll believe it. And God says, all right, ye among the heathen. I'm going to send the Babylonian empire and I'm going to send them up and they're going to destroy your nation wipe out your temple, take you captive, and place you in captivity. How do you like that? That's how I'm going to fix your problem. Well, if you heard that's how God was going to fix your nation, that he was going to destroy it, uh, you probably wouldn't believe it either. What do you mean, God? And so what happens, starting at verse number 12, Habakkuk responds. And you know how he responds? But God, they're worse than we are. I mean, we're a bad nation. I just got through telling you how bad of a nation we were. 
But you're going to send some people that are more wicked than we are, more evil than we are, people that don't even serve you, and you're going to let them conquer us? That's how you're going to fix us? I told you I wouldn't, you wouldn't believe me. Well, God did tell him that you wouldn't believe me. And again, Habakkuk's bringing the objection. But God, wait a second. You mean to tell me how you're going to get your people right is you're going to allow the heathens who hate God, who are wicked and filthy, to be in charge of your nation? How is that going to fix us? God said, I told you, you wouldn't believe me. He says, I know what I'm doing. Now, we look at our nation today, and you know what we want God to do? We want God to wave the magic wand and make everything better. But that's not how God works. We're going over the book of Exodus in our main service. Why didn't God kill Pharaoh and just get it over with? Because God doesn't kill our Pharaohs. He goes with us to face our Pharaohs. You see, the whole thing is that God wants us to find out who he is. And that God will do things in ways we wouldn't even imagine would work in order to get his will accomplished. And so, is it possible that our God, in order to get God's people back to looking at him, God's people to stop playing games, God's people to finally get right, for revival to come out, is it possible that our God would allow the wicked people to be in charge of our nation and ruin everything? Yes. You say, how does that work? I don't know. But God does. And so what we have here with the prophet Habakkuk receiving this news that ye among the heathen, I'm going to send the Babylonians come, they're going to destroy your nation, and that's how I'm going to fix your problem. How do you respond to that news? How do you respond to the news that God is going to allow the heathen to rule and run your nation? People that don't believe in God. People that believe in false gods. People that attribute that their way of life is better than God's way of life. How do you respond to that? Well, what we see here is the prophet, even though he admitted, I don't understand how you're going to do this. What we do see is he goes back and he begins to repeat to God in prayer the things that he knows to be true about God. By the way, how do we respond when we find out that things aren't working out the way that we want it to, and that God doesn't wave the magic wand, and it seems like the heathen are going to run our country, we should go back to God and remind ourselves the things that we know to be true about God. The God I know. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to take the book of Habakkuk, chapter number 1 and verse 12, and I'd like to show you what Habakkuk says and reminds himself about who God is. And when you understand who God is, you can allow God to do whatever he feels is right and necessary to get his work accomplished. The first thing that we see about the God that I know is that he is eternal. That God is eternal. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 12. Art thou not from everlasting? 
Notice that phrase, from everlasting. Psalm 20 and verse 2 says, From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. This phrase here, the way that it is put here, that thou uh, um, art not thou from everlasting, what that's dealing with is eternity past, all the way up to eternity future. Now, let me remind you that God created time. And because God created time, he is outside of time. There is no such thing as future to God. There was no such thing as yesterday to God. God is outside of time and he sees all of time at once. Now, it's you and I that are stuck in time. And that's why it's so hard for us to comprehend it. It's one of those things that if you think about it too long, that your brain will melt and your brain will start oozing outside of your ears. It'll just start just kind of clogging up. But here, God is outside of time. And before he created time, God existed. God existed for eternity before there was time. Then there's going to be time. And it, to God it's only a small bit of time. For us it's a long time. 6,000 years this earth has stood. But to God that's nothing. And then when that is done. When the millennial kingdom is done. The great white throne judgment is done. God is going to destroy heaven and earth. And remake a new heaven and earth. And this one is going to be eternity future. Once again without time. And so when it says that thou art from everlasting, the prophet is reminding that before there was time, there was God. And after time is over, there's God. The very same God. From everlasting to everlasting. This is an eternal God. Now, this gives us some encouragement. Because God does not get old. He does not get tired. He does not need to take naps. He does not run out of gas. He does not need breakfast to start his day. God is eternal. And he does not change. You ever think about that? Why doesn't God change? Because he's perfect. If you're perfect, you don't need to change. God changes not. And so Habakkuk says, I don't understand how this is going to work, that you're going to allow the heathen to be in charge. You're going to be allow the heathen to destroy everything, the heathen to, to um, run their own gods and say that they're better. I don't understand how you're going to allow them to oppress your people, to bring them to the place where they ha are basically enslaved. I don't understand how this is going to work, but I know one thing. God is eternal. You have to go back and look who is God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God knows what's going on. You ever think about this? That because God is outside of the timeline, the same times he's watching us, he's watching the children of Israel cross the Red Sea. The same times he's watching us, he's watching the events unfold during the millennial kingdom. They are all present tense. One of the other attributes of God is that he is omnipresent. We usually associate that, that he is everywhere at once. But that omnipresent also means he is every time at once. Meaning that he is always in the present tense. 
God knows what he's doing because he sees all of time unfolding at the same time. That means that God's not caught off guard. There's not a consequence or an event that he said, I didn't see that was going to happen. God is eternal. You know, you can trust someone who can see everything. We are so limited in our vision that we don't understand even somehow our minor consequences of our actions. But God sees them all. And he knows what to do because he has all the information. We can trust a God like this. We can have our faith anchored to an eternal God who sees everything. He is an eternal God. So when Habakkuk was faced with a world that was falling apart, with a threat that the wicked were going to be in charge and that the godly people were going to be oppressed, when he came to the idea that everything that he loved about his nation was going to be destroyed, by faith he said, I can't trust the circumstances, but I can trust God. That first of all, he is eternal God. From everlasting, thou art God. What's the second thing that he knew about God? The God that I know. That not only is God eternal, but notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 12. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God. Notice if you don't mind the word Lord. Inside of our authorized text, you will notice that the word Lord is in all capital letters. This is a way for us to understand this is referring to the personal name of God. Jehovah. We'll speak more about this exact thing in this morning's message about God uh, meeting uh, Moses at the burning bush, that I am that I am. But this idea of Lord, this is Jehovah, this is God's personal name, and what it carries with it is that God is self-existent. So not only is God eternal, but he is self-existent. This means he's the God who is self-sustaining. This is the God who is self-existent. God depends on nothing to exist. That can't be said true of you. Many of you, in order for you to exist, you have to have coffee. If you don't have coffee, you're not going to exist. You are dependent on an outside substance. You are not able to produce coffee of yourself. You have to get it from something else. And then you use it to help you to function. We say that facetiously, but we understand that's true. We have to eat. You cannot produce food of yourself. You don't have a plant process of photosynthesis. Meaning you don't bask out in the sun. You know there's some goofballs out there that's tried for centuries now. That they stand out in the sun and they try not to eat. Because they're trying to make their, their bodies develop food source on their own. Well, they haven't been successful yet. You, you, can't, you can't produce food of yourself. You have to get your own food. Even if it's a nice medium well ribeye steak with loaded mashed potato or potato and yeah you have to get an outside source that had to come from somewhere else you have to have water to survive and you don't produce water of yourself you have to put the water inside of you you have that comes from an outside source you have to have oxygen that comes from an outside source you are a dependent creature 
And if you lack one of these things, if you lack food, you will not survive. If you lack water, you will not survive. If you lack oxygen, you will not survive. Some of you without coffee, you will not survive. We are dependent creatures. God is self-existent and self-sustaining. He depends on nothing to exist. We're dependent on God, but God needs nothing. He will survive without oxygen. He will survive without food. He can survive without sunlight. God is self-existent, self-sustaining. You know what that means is that you can't bribe God. Because he doesn't need anything. You can't threaten God. Because there's nothing you could take away that would threaten his existence. God is self-sufficient. He is self-existing. Self-sustaining. So when you see that idea, capital L-O-R-D, this is a powerful name. That what would happen is that when people would see this, they would be reminded of who this God is. This is the all-powerful, self-existent, self-sustaining God who doesn't need anything. He can get his own will accomplished. This is a powerful God. The great I am. Nothing in this world will change God. He is eternal God. He is a self-existent God. As we go through, remember that the prophet Habakkuk has just received the news that his whole nation is going to be destroyed and that evil people are going to be running his destroyed nation. And in response, he says, I don't know how to process what I've been told, but the one thing I can do is go back to the God that I know. I know that my God is is eternal. My God is self-existent. Notice something else we see about our God in verse 12. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? My Holy One. What we see here is that God is a holy God. Holiness is one of those strange words that we use in church type settings. That if I go to a normal church and say, bless God! God is holy. People go, amen, that's amen button. But when you explain holiness, all of a sudden it gets quiet. That God is holy. This carries the idea that God owns everything. That God runs everything. That God is perfect in everything he does. In justice righteousness this idea of holy carries the idea of perfect righteousness god is perfectly righteous god is if things are separated to him if someone is considered holy that means they're separated holy unto god god is holy he is perfectly righteous So when Habakkuk didn't understand what was going on, he could go back to the place he says, you know what, God is holy. This carries the idea in this context, I know he'll do what is right because he is holy. 
We understand that he may allow these evil people to come up here. But he knows what he's doing and he will be right in what he does. He is holy. The Bible gives us the frame of reference that we're to be holy as he is holy. Meaning that we come to the place where we're separated into God. And trust in him and believe in his perfect righteousness and we try to follow suit. God is holy. He is perfect. He knows what he is doing. We can trust him because of his attributes, the wonderful attributes of God. So when Habakkuk is faced with these things, he goes back to the God that I know and says, God, there are some things I know about you, that you are eternal. You're self-existent. You are holy. Something else that he says about God here is he says, God, you're faithful. God is faithful. Notice if you don't mind in verse 12. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? Notice this. We shall not die. We shall not die. When he's referring to this, we shall not die, he's referring to God's chosen people, the people of Israel, the Hebrew people. We shall not die. And by faith, he's remembering the promise that God had said to Abraham that you're going to be people and they're going to be scattered to the sea. God had made promises to the Hebrew people that he is yet to fulfill. And until he fulfills there, there has to be a Hebrew people. And so he understands that this nation of Babylon is going to come and they're going to destroy the nation, the political state of Israel. But God will not destroy the Hebrew people. And that the Hebrew people will not die. He's going by faith and said, God, you're faithful. We understand you could destroy the political state. But the people themselves, you're not going to destroy. You made promises. You're going to keep your promises. These things are going to be fulfilled. You will not allow your people to die until they are fulfilled. He says, I'm calling upon your promise. When, isn't that a comforting promise to the Hebrew person, Habakkuk? To be able to look up and say, you know what? I understand our nation may be destroyed, but you made a promise to your people. And you're going to fulfill it. And because I know who you are, because I know that you're faithful, you will not destroy us. You are faithful. God is faithful to keep his word. You know, we need to be remembered of that. When we come to times of uh, crisis, that God will keep his word. His promises are still true. He promised that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He promised to keep his word. He promised that the work of his word will be fulfilled. What he's trying to do is get us to get our attention back on him. So that way he can continue to use his word. His promises are still going to ring true. God will always have a remnant. That's a promise. There's never going to be a time where God's people will be wiped off the map. Whether they're Hebrew people or Christian people. God's going to keep a promise. He promised a remnant. This is why Esther was able to have such courage and bravery to approach the king. As Mordecai had repeated that same promise that says deliverance may come from somewhere else God may want to use you he says but who knows that God put you for such a time such as this for a time such as this 
He, Mordecai was calling upon that promise that God will bring deliverance to his people some way, somehow. I just believe that God wants to use you, Esther. And Esther said, all right, well, pray for me and fast for me. We're going to go do this. Amen. That's that same type of faithfulness here. That God knows what he's doing. And he is faithful. He's going to keep his word. Can you believe it? God didn't say anything about preserving geopolitical nations. But he did say, I will have a people. As much as we would love to say, God will preserve America. Why should he? And if America is destroyed, that doesn't mean God's a bad God. It means we're bad people. But God could destroy our nation to get our attention, to get us back right with God. And God would still be right in doing so. Because he is faithful to his word. So what we see here is going by faith. That Habakkuk, he says, I don't understand what's going on. And you've given me some very bad news. And you told me that I wouldn't believe it. And God, I don't believe it. But there are things that I know are true about you. And that's what I'm putting my faith in. That's what I'm trusting in. Is that God, that you are eternal. God, you are self-existent. God, you are holy. God, you are faithful. There's one more thing that we see here. That God is almighty. God is almighty. Notice with me in verse 12 again. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord, for thou hast ordained them for judgment. And, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Here he says, my mighty God. This mighty God. This carries the idea that God is omnipotent. Omni means all uh, potent means powerful. God is all powerful. That's what we say when we talk about Almighty God, that He is an all powerful God. And He says, God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you that you're going to use these people to get your thing across. He says, God, thou hast ordained them, the Babylonian people, for judgment, and thou hast established them for correction. He says by faith here, God, I recognize what you're doing is that you picked a switch for us. That's what we do back in the South. Go pick your switch. God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to spank you. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, because he is a good father, that he will spank his child. He will correct his child. He will chase of it. And what he's doing with the Babylonian people is he's using them as the rod. But you know what God has done after he gets done with the rod? He breaks it. You know what he did with the Assyrians? He used the Assyrians as a rod to chastise the northern kingdom. Then you know what he did with the Assyrians? He broke the rod. The Babylonians are going to be used to chastise God's people. Then you know what God's going to do? He's going to break the rod. He says, God, I trust you because you're all powerful. Aren't you glad that God is bigger than any enemy we could face? And God may use these enemies to be chastening rods, but God's going to break them afterwards. After he's done taking us to the woodshed. God knows what he's doing. He is all powerful. He is more powerful than anything else that we could face. Anything else that may try to face us. God is still 
in control. So what we're seeing here is a man who has been told by God that his nation is going to be destroyed. And even though he doesn't believe how it's going to happen, how is this going to work out? What he does know is that he has a God he can trust. We have a world that right now is in crisis, just like Habakkuk's day. And we may not know how it works. And we need to be careful with our foolish assertions that God will preserve America. We hope he does. But if he doesn't, God's still good. And God's still right. That we have to trust our God that he knows what he's doing. That he's always good. And he is always right. We have to look up by faith and trust this God. By the way, you'll see Habakkuk bring up more objections. But God, they serve more gods than we do. I mean, our problem's idolatry. That was the whole problem of the Hebrew people, is they kept serving other gods rather than the true Jehovah God. They would start to worship Baal and Ashtaroth. They would start to serve Molech. They began to serve all these other gods. And so God said, you know what I'm going to do to fix this? Is I'm going to go put you with a bunch of people that serve even more gods than what you do. And that's why Habakkuk says, how is that going to work? How is putting us in a society that has even more gods than we already serve going to fix us? And God says, I told you you wouldn't believe me. But you know what happened? Seventy years after the Babylonians came, is that God broke the Babylonian empire. And then what he did is he allowed the Persians to come and char- come and send the Hebrew people home. Not all of them returned. But you know what happened is that the Jewish people became the most monotheistic people there are. They said there's only one God. Even today, Orthodox Hebrew people, there's only one God. You said how did that happen? Because God sent them among the heathen. Sent them to a place that has even more gods than they were serving. How does that work? I don't know. But it worked. God knew what he was doing. And God, and God may do some things that we say, I don't understand how this is supposed to help God's people. How is this supposed to help local churches? I don't know. But you can trust God. He knows what it is. God knows when it, it's a flat tire to get our attention. He knows what it is to a hospital trip. He knows what it is to have a little scare in our life for us to get back right with God. You say, how does this work? I don't know. I can't tell you why, but I can tell you who. God is always good. and God is always right. And so this is what the prophet Habakkuk says. He says, I don't know how it's going to work. Does it make sense to me? God told me I wasn't going to believe me, believe it, and I don't. But there's one thing that I know is who God is. He says, God is eternal. God is self-existent. God is holy. God is faithful. God is almighty. What we have to do is keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and rest by faith in the God we know. By the way, this is why it is so important to study the attributes of God. I know people don't like the word doctrine. You understand doctrine is so important. The more that you know about God, the more that you know who God is, the better off you're going to be. To be able to study God, to know more about his attributes. And there's tons of attributes of God. 
But when you know him and who he is and what he is like, those hard times don't seem as hard when we're looking at God and say, God, I trust you. I trust you. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.